It says an error occurred on Facebook. This is temporary. Wait a moment and try again. But I'm already on live Facebook. I could see us. So, yeah. All right. So it looks like we're good. It looks like we're finally good. Uh, yeah. There we go. Okay. So we're finally both up. I apologize, people. Uh, just some technical difficulties. All right. My count still shows zero watching. <laughs> it went up to nine. So, so we're having a. Yeah. Okay. The, the, so we're we're ready, Jamal. Go ahead and give us. You can do a ten second or however you want. You want to do it. Yeah, they're, they're catching up. They're, yeah, they're all coming. They're all over now. So, uh, Officer Faulkner, Malika, what's going on, people? See folks coming in. Uh, let me enlarge this so I can see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We had we had technical difficulties for a moment, so we had to start a new session. So we're getting ready to dive right into the uh, into the details. So, uh, Doc, you're going to start with current events. Uh, we are going to start with current events. Um, although we're going to keep it real light tonight, uh, we are all 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 we're also broadcasting on Interlight Radio, uh, Facebook, and of course YouTube. So please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, we appreciate the patience. You guys are having as we're getting this transition underway. Uh, so a uh, couple of pieces of light business. Uh, please make sure you check out a couple of things. I just did uh, an interview with attorney Dennis Sperling last night on his mm -hmm. channel. You can find that on Facebook and YouTube. So uh, please give a listen to that when you're done here uh, tonight. Also, let's see. I did an interview with Green Gorilla. Oh, that's fire. PhD. Uh, thank you. So, you know, check that out if you haven't had to. Should be a couple of videos ago, but it was real interesting. And uh, of course, if you haven't checked out uh, Green Gorilla's uh, latest, <laughs> 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 his latest show on YouTube, uh, yeah. he, he had an admission to make. You definitely want to you want to check that oh, out. What's yeah. up, Gigi? Yeah. 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 If you if, if you like rants, if you like my rants, Gigi went on the full fledged. Uh, was it three alarm uh, rant? <laughs> well, well, I'm not done because I was about to say you, you, we need to also check out my esteemed guest, BGS, who had an epic rant himself. <laughs> you you want to tell people uh, the title of that one? <laughs> it was uh, called uh, uh, Unattractive, uh, un Economically Unattractive Black Men and uh, uh, Marriageable Black Women. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> about the problems that black supposedly the problems that black women have uh finding eligible uh husbands <laughs> and uh so I, I i took i went left so so be prepared <laughs> oh yeah he's, he's he's burning it down yeah um, so you, you and Gigi been killing it this week so y'all check them out if you haven't had a chance to already um i'm not going to delve in too deeply um as far as the 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 current events, we'll just do a couple of real, real quick. Um, I do want to say uh, very briefly, uh, uh, my film review people, I, I will be finishing the tap one and have that up probably no later than uh, later tonight, uh, if not in the morning. And then I'm going to be doing Birth of a Nation, uh, Nate Parker's Birth of a Nation. Uh, I'm going to finish that up tomorrow. So I'll have those up for my film review people. Uh, I see Christopher's in the house. 
Um, Miss Melanie, Chris, uh, let me see, Goshen, um, Leroy, what's up, people? Marvin, Theus. Uh, so we got a lot of people in the building. Uh, let me pull this thing up here. Um, let's see, where do we go? Okay. So as far as uh, just a couple of the latest, here we go. Um, not too much. I, I think I'm going to keep it a little light. Let me get this one on screen. I'm not going to delve in. It's really going to be a, more a matter of just alerting you to some of the things that I think merit some attention. Uh, I think you saw this one, BGS. Well, we already know you saw these. Uh, but if you hadn't seen it, uh, TMZ reported that the WNBA star Maya Moore marries Jonathan Irons, the man she helped free from prison. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, any thoughts on that one? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I have to, you know, put a big black fist up in the air and a slow clap because uh, she was instrumental in helping him get out of prison. Yeah, so she was. She is a uh, the epitome of a ride or die black woman. Oh yeah. If you, if you had to have one, um, you know we don't see this very often, especially for from black women. But when you see it like this, then you know you got to give her props. This is, in my estimation, what black women should be. Absolutely, know? absolutely. And it was, and, and and the funny part about it is, you know, I'm, I'm all these brothers on my Facebook page who are pretty red pill. That, you know, it was for the most part, it was nothing but support, yes. you know, for both of them. So you'd think amongst this population of black men who'd experienced marriage in, in negative ways and had all yeah. kinds of concerns about divorce and family mm -hmm. court. Yeah. For the most part, everybody was pretty positive yeah. because she put in, I mean, the effort she put in kind of let, yeah. let brothers know there's no way in the world <laughs> she, that there was just something she was exploiting them for. Was, no, no, no. It's, you know, it's purely on her side of the table in terms of any type of vulnerability. So, yeah, yeah um, I mean, for for to get him out and then marry him on top of that. Come on. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean. Come on. You know, and, and she, it's not like she's just a regular person. She is a, she's a celebrity. She's a celebrity. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. there was nothing but love for her. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm happy the brother got out, um, you know, especially with yeah. her help. I'm yeah. not sure if he would have, but uh, yeah. 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 Um, also, if y'all get a chance, check out uh, Charles Faulkner's police conference. Uh, he's done, a, I think he's done a couple. I, I sat in, I listened in on one. Um, definitely check those out. Very entertaining uh, and informative. Uh, let me see here. Now, this one is interesting. This is, this is not as much a news update, but this is a request by a student of mine, a mm -hmm. former student of mine who's graduated from Fresno State and is now making films. Well, he's actually, he's in film school and okay. he's working on his thesis film uh, and he's dealing with black males and victim being victims of abuse by women okay. uh, in intimate relationships. So he's asking that if there are any survivors that are willing to share their story, um, you know, reach out to him, but you can reach out to him through me. Uh, so you can just go to my website. Uh, if you're not already on my Facebook page, just go into my website, thassanjohnson.com, message me from there, and I'll be happy to forward you to him. Um, so, you know, his name is Tyler. He's doing some beautiful work. He's a young man uh, getting his feet wet and his first uh, major thesis film, he wants to deal with black men and abuse. So shout out to Tyler. I hope all is well with you, sir. And yeah, I hope you know, this helps. It's funny, you know, because of this awareness, this, this black well awareness over the last, say, 10 years, you see more men willing to speak out when there's abuse. 
before yeah. they were too ashamed. But now they're more willing to actually come out and actually say something. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the work that brothers are doing in black male studies, like, um, you know, Dr. Tommy Curry, Dr. Ron Neal, uh, Gigi, I hope that work is giving language, vocabulary and authorization to mm-hmm. speak out on abuse in a particular way. So, you know, hopefully it's adding to that. But Tyler is uh, comes out of black male studies, too which is why he's doing this. He's not looking to embarrass anybody. He's not looking Mm -hmm. to emasculate or denigrate black men. He's actually looking to champion black men by putting, you know, this on the table for people to understand that this is real. Uh, So shout out to him, uh, Tyler Griffin. Hopefully he will be able to uh, get some people going. Uh, Shout out also to, uh, let me see a few people in there. We got Black Uru Strikes. Appreciate that support. Seventh Coast Dojo. Um, you know, appreciate that. Origins of Man, appreciate that support. Um, and we definitely can continue from there. Um, also, uh, let me see. As far as that, there's only one other one I was going to point out today, uh, sadly. So Mrs. Uh, missing Alabama college student found dead nearly one week wow. after mother pleaded, I want my child back. Um, this is a, you know, particularly a sad one um, that... Uh, you might want to look into it's on apple.news. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, this young man was, was found missing. Of course, he disappeared. His roommates said he went out to the ATM machine. They didn't see him after that. Mm. His body was found a week later. Mm. Um, so they're still investigating to my knowledge, but check this piece out if you can. Um, Again, speaking to the precariousness of black male life. Yeah, you got to be right? careful who your roommates are yeah, if you're a black male. Absolutely. Um, and I didn't properly introduce, for those who don't know, um, we have uh, Black Gnostic Speaks, also known as BGS, also known as the Master Teacher. And the name I have recently dubbed him, uh, Robert McCall, a.k.a. The Equalizer, <laughs> like to welcome you back to the Honest Report. So I apologize for not formally interviewing you. We just got off to a strange start today. Um, so I appreciate you coming back. Uh, you know, we wanted to have a little bit of fun. And those of you guys who, who are regular watchers of the show know, recently we did uh, two episodes on Black female predatory archetypes. And so, um, you know, today we'll be delving a little bit into the black male archetype. But before we do, we have a slight update to the black male political agenda. Um, Y'all know, uh, again, for those who are regular watchers, uh, every week I've been trying to cover uh, black male, the, uh, the development of a black male political agenda. And what I do is I put up that list. Um, Really every show we have an addition And I want to do that mainly so that we can have and facilitate a discussion about a black male political agenda that is developed by you. So, you know, the majority of the things on this list are uh, are ideas that are submitted by my audience uh, about uh, what they feel black males political agenda is. And I'll be doing a video this week uh, on what some of the underlying philosophies and concepts are. That, ha- that helped me get to this idea and what it means and how we get, you know, how we frame it. Uh, and there are a series of ideas that kind of will help you understand the logic behind the direction many of these different uh, points 
uh, go into. Um, but for my my audience on YouTube and on Facebook, you can see the list, the first page of the list. We've gone over this in other shows, so I'm not going to go into this in depth. But you can see, um, you know, the mandatory DNA testing at birth, mm-hmm. family court reform, so on and so forth. Uh, single sex, sex education. You know, these are the kind of things that we think that black males need specific attention to. You know, we, we, when you talk about race, you can talk about a flat blackness. You can talk about, you know, the ways in which blackness is kind of represented in ways in regard to race. Uh, and you can look at Yvette Carnell. She does a great job breaking down uh, flat blackness. But I talk about, uh, you know, flat blackness and flat maleness in terms of gender. And the way that tends to work when it comes to blackness is black males are conveniently used when their issues are, you know, when the numbers are so bad that they can be used politically. But often what happens is they get merged into the overall kind of idea of blackness. So if you talk about, for example, police homicides, right, we know two to three hundred black men per year are killed by police officers. That doesn't really include vigilante deaths. uh, And whereas you have about nine to 13 black women. But somehow that two to three hundred becomes a black issue. Right. But when you say something like we need to be specific, specific by gender, it generally only applies to women and girls. And now, you you know, black males don't tend to have a gender that requires any specification. So I talk about black, flat black maleness, flat, excuse me, flat blackness and flat maleness. In that sense, flat maleness has to do with uh, you see this with feminists when they frame all men across race, across class as sharing a category. So somehow black men, for example, like if you Mm -hmm. watch the film Color Purple, are now just as responsible as slave owners for the oppression of black women. That would be an example of flat maleness. Because we all have penises, we are somehow the same and thus responsible as a gender for everything that feminists have framed that women experience for men. Uh, you know, so that kind of flat blackness and flat maleness often obscures the specific realities that black men live. And this political agenda agenda seeks to uh, kind of highlight that. Now, there are two one minute videos that I'm going to play for you uh, that kind of illustrate why uh, point number two, family, family court reform is necessary. This is a video I was going to play last week, but, um, you know, it came up to where I could actually play it this week. And it's going to highlight for you um, what some of the experiences black men have, uh, what they actually are. So we're broadcasting on a couple of different levels here. So let me me get my speakers in order for a moment. So my my inner light crew can hear this. So I'm going to play them back to back. And I'll save a commentary until afterwards. So uh, hopefully everybody can hear this. Oh, wait a minute. You know what? I think I haven't. I got to share the sound. So share screen, share audio. Believe it or not, I'm getting better at this, people. (laughs) Slowly but surely. I'm not not as smooth with it as BGS, but I'm getting there. All right. So here's here's the first video. This is a man coming up to, to coming to pick up his daughter. Uh, he and his, I guess, I can't tell if it's his brother or his, or his friend. They're driving up together to his baby mama's house to pick up the daughter. And this is the exchange they're having with the mother. So can I get the baby away? Can I get the baby? Look, look, look at her grandma, just holding her. Not let me talk to her, see her, nothing. 
Look at this girl out here in the middle of the street. She called me over here to come pick my daughter up. Yo, you called me over here to pick my daughter up. Can I get her? Where's she at? She's right there on the stage. Can I get her? Go get her. She said right. you can get her. What do you mean, Toucher? You about to beat my ass? I'm not trying to fight you. What? Nissa, so I can't see my daughter? Wow. This is the second one. Look at the word. I fuck this shit up. That was a good one. Why did you spit on the car and kick the car? Why though? It's up there. You came to my shit. So you told me to come pick my daughter up. You just spit on me and my brother. I but I didn't do I don't nothing. give a fuck. Fuck y'all. For what? Don't fuck me. Fuck y'all. It's never that. Fuck y'all. You called me over here to pick my daughter up. That's the only reason. Bro, she, she, what are you talking about? Can I get her or what? <sighs> Any initial thoughts, brother BGS? Uh, yeah. Uh, basically, uh, she's using him and the baby for therapy to work out her frustrations. She did this okay. on purpose, and she's got yeah. internal strife and insert. She's taking out her rage on him. And the only way she can get him over to take out uh, her rage on him is basically uh, a dangle the baby as a carrot. Mm -hmm. Well, so. this is this is why in the black male political agenda, we talk mm -hmm. about family court reform. A lot of what we're seeing, especially over decades, mm -hmm. is really kind of an entitlement too. it's an entitlement mm -hmm. that's rooted in an assumption that, you know, it, it, that these kind of things are going to be levied to her benefit mm -hmm. when you talk about, you know, yeah. family court. Uh, yeah. And this is what it has kind of wrought, this kind of attitude that the kids are mine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those on my Facebook page know I, I play, I posted a couple of videos of, what's her name, uh, Judge Judy. Yeah. And there were a couple of moments where Judge Judy called women out very explicitly and said, no, he is as much the parent as you are. Mm -hmm. But even Judge Judy herself remarked as a former family court judge mm -hmm. that family courts don't necessarily operate by the edict that she put forward. You know, they don't recognize fathers necessarily as, uh, you know, equal parents in that that regard. No, uh, so, uh, 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 Green Gorilla actually did a, uh, a mm -hmm. series called the, uh, the Five Ways of Feminism. And mm -hmm. basically uh, the patriarchy really uh, died really in. Uh, 18, I think it's 1873 with the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with the uh, tender years doctrine that was extended from five, from six, five or seven years to 17, right. basically giving the ownership of the, uh, transferring the ownership of the children from the father to the mother, which Absolutely. is, which is the, the basis of have, having a patriarchal structure. And right. then the 1960s just codified it and, and basically uh, 
made men respond financially responsible as, as patriarchal responsible for children but without the rights to have them you don't own them but you have to pay for them right so right so we, you, we we are in a uh, de facto matriarchy right that is institutionally supported and the and the very idea of a black gynocracy in and of itself um uh, and this is i've i've used the term black gynarchy but that's only because BGS is the one who's really done the most work, as far as I've seen, uh, on the bi- black gynocracy. And I didn't want uh, anything that I was saying, you know, that he may not approve of. I didn't want the two to, to over, but they overlap clearly. Mm-hmm. But either way, the black, the very idea of the black gynocracy is that it is propped up mm-hmm. by institutions that are not native to the black community. They're actually an extension of white society. Yes. And the family court is one of the most impactful. Yes. Right. Because it has reordered, restructured the family in a manner that has contributed to the underdevelopment of black men and the uh, kind of, you know, the propelling of black women. Mm-hmm. And so that video we watched is 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 really, a you know, what the fallout of that is several which decades later, which is why 51 percent of black men don't have children for, right. the, for that very reason. Right there. That very the, reason right there. The, 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 the imbalance of the, the power dynamic. The imbalance of power, and and she can do that. And, and to be honest with you, what we saw her doing, damn it, hold on, what we saw her doing was actually abusive. Mm-hmm. She kicked the car door that hit him. She spit on them. Mm-hmm. You know, she's you know, so it verbally, it, well, verbally she, abusive well, and physically, yes, absolutely. And yet mm-hmm. we know that if the situation were reversed, mm-hmm. he'd be in jail. He'd be in jail. You know, he'd be in jail, and he'd be the he'd be the you know, it, there'd be a cry for him to go to prison. Yeah. Uh, but, but we really don't know how to ha- how to deal with female acts of evil. Uh, anyway, um, so this is the second page of the Black Male Political Agenda, abolishing the Duluth model, mm-hmm. reinstituting at-fault divorce standards, uh, sexual assault and rape acknowledgement, uh, things of that nature, financial abortion, mm. you know, meaning, again, if a woman has the right to say my body, my choice, a man should have the right to opt out, especially if he has no power in this in the decision making of what goes on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about this before on my show. Uh, black men or men in general still have the same, you know, contraceptive options we've had since the 50s. You know, it's condoms. It's the pullout method. It's abstinence, you know. But essentially, the moment you have sex, I don't care if there's a condom involved or not. Condoms break. You mm-hmm. are vulnerable to what may happen. And at that legally, you have no say so as to what happens after that. The, the sex. And, and so that creates all kinds of problems. But uh, again, you know, if women should have the option to make a decision, there should mm-hmm. be a decision for men uh, as far as the involvement they want to choose mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to have. So, you know, that being one of the options, uh, child support value system, right to lifestyle. These things are on here. I'm um, going through these quickly because we go through these pretty much every show. And, and for those of you um, who want to know more, you can screenshot it. You know, you could pause the image and take a look at them, um, you know, and kind of go from there. The third page deals with licensing law enforcement. So just like doctors, they can lose or lawyers, they can lose their license if they've, um, you know, performed negatively as opposed to just being able to go get a job at the next precinct. Uh, right. Uh, targeted cancer campaigning, treatment and recognition. I talked about this before, you know, males in particular, but black males in particular tend to die of cancer at higher rates than other populations uh, by gender and by race. And there's no very little acknowledgement of that uh, targeted small business report uh, support. I talked about how few 
um, you know, especially since COVID, how few small business support options are available to mm -hmm. black men. But you can see them designated by race and gender. And they're even those designated directly to black women, mm -hmm. but nothing for really for black men. Mm -hmm. um, so keep that in mind. And we get to the latest uh, two updates. Uh, so, of course, the last show we talked about preparatory reading and STEM educational support. Wow, yeah. Because we found that uh, by the eighth grade, nationally speaking, black males only had a 10 percent literacy rate. And yet there's no outcry. There's no frustration. There's no outpouring of a call for help. And the only time we saw a call under Obama in terms of the My Brother's Keeper program, the first ones to dismantle it or push it, it wasn't dismantled. But to push for its dismantlement were actually, in many instances, black women, because the question was asked, well, why not the girls, even though the girls tend to be, um, you know, the, the, the highest, uh, what do you call it, the, the demographic that is uh, most enrolled in higher education. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that the, that the girls need the help. It's that the boys do. But we cannot we cannot conceptualize helping boys without viewing it as an in, in as an inherently sexist act. Yes. Even though I would say ignoring the boys is an inherently sexist act. Uh, shout out to Crimson Cure for that support. I hope all is well with you, Kendra. Shout out to Father's Time. Um, appreciate that support. Uh, Atif, appreciate that. Uh, so thank you. Please support the show, um, even though we are still moving along here. All right. So the two editions, as, as those who are looking at this can see, uh, number 19 on the Black Male Political Agenda, this was submitted this past week, it was a recognition of proxy violence. Now, proxy violence basically has to do with the ways in which others can use other people to initiate violence against mm -hmm. you. And on gendered grounds, what this often means is that, and this is something uh, 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 was um, oh, Warren Farrell right. talked about in his book, Myth of um, Masculinity. And one of the things he says is, you know, in terms of proxy violence, if a woman uh, initiates violence on, on, say, her husband and she uses an outside figure, he, he points out that often if it's a poor woman, she'll use sex. If mm -hmm. it's a, a well-to-do woman, she'll use money. But she'll pay or, or coerce an assassin to attack, say, her husband. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if he's successful and he gets away, it's just a murder. If he's caught, it's a murder by one man of another. Right. But at no point is she really involved in that. She's not called into, you know, to bear in that regard. And so uh, this person who's suggesting this, I uh, believe this was also Adam Ibmore, uh, who made a couple other points on previous pages here, suggested that proxy violence, whether it extends to abuse or um, homicide, mm -hmm. needs to, to better account for women's role in it because it helps contribute to the idea that men are just fighting with men and that somehow you know, women are not involved and it. You know, so it kind of reinforces this idea that the only abusers are men, even though the data shows that bidirectional abuse is almost equal in the black community in terms of aggression from women to men and men to women. But when you add in proxy violence, you know what I mean? The more cases we start to find mm -hmm. where people are willing to come forward and say, yes, I was paid by the wife or I was coerced. And many of us grew up seeing lower levels of this through childhood, right? You know, it's it, the girl who says, I'm gonna go get my big brother to beat you up. That's proxy mm -hmm. violence. Yeah, it starts you know, early. It starts early. And we, we don't think anything of it, but yes, by it, it, it doesn't take long to where that can elevate to homicide, you know yeah. what I mean? Or having a gang of people beat up on you. Uh, right. Goshen, really appreciate that support. Thank you. 
Um, that's a huge one. Um, Omni Americana, appreciate that, as well as Force Windu. Glad and, to and, see the forces back in here. And MLR. Thank and you. MLR. Oh, I, I missed that. I apologize. Thank you. Um, the second point on here, uh, new addition, was this idea about Social Security and life insurance. And I just framed it as family support. And what the, what the brother who submitted this meant by this was that uh, upon the death of a, of a black male, the both Social Security and life insurance should have a designation that applies directly to children and gran grandchildren. You know, of course, grandchildren when applicable, uh, mainly because of the ways in which um, sometimes exploitive spouses can uh, absorb much of the resources at the expense of the children and the grandchildren, depending on the situation. So this was submitted as a way of making sure that our deaths still uh, help uh, our children. Um, so I just added that for your consideration. So please make sure in the comments or you can send messages to me what you think about some of the various things listed here. This list is not exhaustive. It's not complete. I don't know if it ever will be, but it is designed to generate thought along the lines of what black men experience. So just wanted to get that out there. Masculine sequitur, appreciate the support. All right. So uh, shall we get started, sir? Yes, sir. Let's dive right. into it. Uh, we're dealing with the, the black male uh, archetypes. And as usual, you should know that when it comes to archetypes, um, that uh, they apply really to everyone in, in one way, shape or form. We all embody these. Um, we, they're all of the archetypes we're going to cover are inside us. Uh, the, the, they're not complete. Matter of fact, we'll probably cover 10, but I have 20. So we might we, we will definitely be doing a follow up show where we go into more depth. And um, and remember that these are archetypes. Real people complicate these archetypes. They bring them to life and they extend the potential of what these archetypes can be. Uh, Charles, appreciate that support. All right. Um, so let's start it off. Yeah, I, I figured we'd get the first three that generally are applied to black men out of the way up front. Um, so the first one is the thug. Right. And the thugs, and I'm reading them out because I also have my inner light radio uh, crowd here, so they can't see the screen. So uh, for those of you who are watching on Facebook and YouTube, uh, that's why I'm doing that. Uh, but anyway, the thug, you know, whose mantra is, I will die for mine. You know, I'll die for mine. Um, the thug can be petty, can be materialistic and violent, um, can be complicated uh, with an ex unexpectedly deep worldview or a combination of both. In other words, uh, the, he can be petty, he can be uh, he can be deep, or a combination of both. Uh, but either way, is willing to use force and can be amoral when accomplishing goals. Right. So this does not mean, contrary to popular opinion, that this person is inherently bad or inherently good. He, he can be anywhere on that spectrum. Uh, but there's a component I wanted us to consider for each one of these, and that is what they can teach you. Um, and what I argue here is that the thug can teach you how to stand for what you believe in. Mm -hmm. um, put your uh, life on the line for it. Put your life on the line for it, whether it's a scuffed pair of tennis shoes or mm -hmm. whether it's a just issue that that has been, uh, you know, mm -hmm. not dealt with to the full extent. This person is usually ready to go to the full extent to make his point felt. Yeah. yeah. Back um, in the day, they used to call them street soldiers. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now another reason, and you guys remember this from when we dealt with the black female arch predatory archetypes. Another reason I brought BGS in is because he is known for his Octane series. 
Uh, and if you haven't checked out the Octane series, you definitely want to go to his page, BGS Ibmore, and look those videos up. They are incredible. A lot of them, he does an analysis with uh, the HBO show Insecure. Um, and what few, what what some people forget about is he also has, he, he has both female um, uh, Octanes and male Octanes. And so today, uh, I hope we could ask him to also include an analysis of some of these uh, archetypes and tell us how they tend to fit in his male archetype series. And this is something that Rom and Cousin Tita on YouTube have delved into with BGS, uh, but BGS is definitely the originator. So um, any thoughts about where the thug fits in? Well, the, 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 the thug is the uh, street guy or the street dude. Yeah. They got various names for him uh, on YouTube. We call them Pookie and Ray Ray. We call them thugs. We call them street, you know, street ends you know to be keep it pc and uh the <laughs> i always uh, put 85 uh in relation with survival mm-hmm. because a lot of a lot of guys even if they become successful they always call it getting that out of you know pulling yourself up by the bootstrap or getting it out of the mud mm-hmm. uh, which is a term um when they have to make a living in other words you don't have a prepackaged corporate or prepackaged job nine to five job because of whatever reasons and you have to basically uh, do what you need to do to survive, whether it's, you know, legal or illegal. Right. And like, uh, and just like the women that get on welfare or, or mm-hmm. get checks or whatever, however they do it with, with, for the 85 woman, this is the survival level. Right. And I do I want to shout out Lightbearer. Thanks for that support. Um, uh, and Akira, thank you. Uh, yeah, the other thing I wanted to kind of throw in here and this is where, you know, history plays in. And we're going to be doing this with a few of these. When you look at the really like the turn, when you look at the period in the 20th century where you start to see black folks migrating into the mm-hmm. Midwest, the East Coast and the West Coast. You look at, and this happened across the country. But, um, you know, I show a documentary in my class that we will recover uh, the origins of black gangs. You know, so mm-hmm. part of my research delves into gang studies mm-hmm. and it cover, I cover a number of different things in my classes, porn studies, gang studies, right. a number of different areas. But in terms of gangs, the earliest formation of black gangs from east to west coast was often in response to the lack of equitable policing mm-hmm. uh, that t- that would take place. So in other words, you could have white gangs, even if they were just teenage, you know, sports clubs, but they would come through black neighborhoods and smash windows, beat right. people up, so on and so forth. So the response to that was the formation of black gangs. And much much of the time it was younger men. So in other words, if 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 a, if, a, if, if the if the local baseball team, white kids, drove mm-hmm. through a black neighborhood smashing mm-hmm. up your grandmother's window, right. well, you know, who do you think she's going to call? She's not necessarily going to call her son, her son who just got a job at the bank and graduated from college. She's going to call that other grandson, yes. you know, and him and his <laughs> friends. And, 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 I, and I'm That's joking, true. but I'm not. because that was, the, that was really the earliest formations of black neighborhood protection. Right. You know, it came from what you just called the street soldiers. Street soldiers. So, it, exactly. Yeah. Uh, they noticed this in, uh, in the 1850s uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, that boys, naturally form what they call hunting parties mm-hmm. for protection because you go out in the, you know as human beings you can't go out in the woods or the forest um by yourself because mm-hmm. you could animals and other kind of things could actually happen to you so you form uh boys or other men around you as protection and that's the, the natural occurrence of of gangs or what, what we call gangs 
Mm -hmm. And which is why they invented sports teams to actually mm -hmm. give them an outlet for that for that energy. So in a, especially in an urban area where it could be dangerous and we, we have people piled on top of each other. This is actually a natural formation. Absolutely. Even though they, they make it seem like it's something evil. It's not. It's it's, it's natural. Well, and, and, and the evil idea for black gangs really didn't come to bear until the 19, late 70s, or really the 1980s right. during, during the war on drugs. So the right. idea, because there was a particular time before the mid-70s where, you know, the whole idea of being a, a gangbanger and a drug dealer and a pimp, those were three separate categories. Yes, they were. Yes, they you, were. Didn't, those, you, you know, those didn't overlap. But by the time you get to the mid-1980s, you know, mid there's this whole new idea of gangs but much of that is in response to this massive drug movement, this import importing of drugs uh, into black communities. And from that, gangs, it, it, you know, kind of overnight became a whole different entity that yes. didn't really exist the way that that happened prior to the 1980s. So there's a very distinct history here. And I, and so what I'm trying to do with these is, is to make sense of, mm. you know, the various archetypes black men embody, but also kind of give you a little taste of the history that yeah. produce the context for a yes. lot of this which is which is why you know, we we talked earlier about these archetypes and i said each archetype could be a show by themselves because very true it, there are there are many many different aspects with with archetypes especially with black archetypes as mm -hmm. complex as they are uh anwar jojo and uh brandon i want to thank you for that support uh, as well as monk and big beats appreciate that um and i think uh Councilor murray thank you sir so let me see here. So let's go ahead. You guys might be familiar with this one. Uh, this is the lover, right? Uh, you could also call this one the player, right? Mm. Um, and you know what? Real quick, shout out to Dr. Anwar Dunbar. Make sure you support his channel. Check out his videos. The brother's work is on is is tip top. So definitely check him out and support him. Um, but the lover, right? His his mantra is "I will woo you into my thrall." Right now, mm -hmm. being the the you know I came in I went to I started college in the early nineties so this was my era so you know I had to go to Marcus and Boomerang Eddie Murphy you know because I couldn't think of anything that better embodied that so it's kind of generational but I also say that because I had another generational milestone the other day uh, I walked into the living room and the, the lights were real low and my son was my son was sitting on the couch on the phone and you know he he had the, he was all posed up and I was like. You know, and, and again, I, I sounded like my parents. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he was like, I'm on the phone. I said, well, who are you talking to with the lights out? He was like, I'm talking to my girl. And I'm like, oh, shit. I just became that parent. <laughs> I'm completely oblivious. You know, I never thought I'd be that parent. I thought I'd be the parent giving them tips. Here mm -hmm. I am, you know, wrecking the game. But, uh, I, you know, he had the pose on and everything. He had the low voice going. I was oh, like, oh, boy. My um, son didn't hit it, man. Mac in training. He was a Mac in training. So <laughs> I, I, I said this on Facebook. He about to inherit this 1992 Slow Jams mixtape. That's what's about to go on. Oh, um, we, we can hook him up with some 70s stuff, too. So Hey, well, you know, out of respect to you, I'll throw a little bit of the 70s in there. But he about to get this tape, though. <laughs> Let's let me find a cassette player, but we gonna get this tape because this old man was, well, you know, I wasn't always this old man, you know. But anyway, um, so we can see with the lover, right? Mm -hmm. He tends to know women due to how we've been socialized to anticipate their emotional needs. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, I said this on Attorney Dennis Sperling's show. Black men tend to be the most progressive men, and you can find this in the man not as well. 
Uh, and that has a lot to do with the experiences we've had since slavery. We are actually open and sensitive to other people's oppression because of what we've been through. Mm -hmm. But in particular to women, we are socialized by women. Yes. Right. So from childhood through K through 12, over 90 percent of the teachers are women and our families and our communities, especially in the 1970s, single motherhood shot through the roof. Eighty percent of kids are born to single parent households. And that's overwhelmingly due to family court treatment and socialization that's through our mothers. So right. we are generations of men who have been socialized around women, like it or not, more than any other. And one of the things we are taught from childhood on is how to anticipate her emotional needs and her emotional worldview. Yes. Even to the detriment of our own. Yes. You know what I mean? So uh, that's one of the things that the lover kind of turns on its head. You know, he uses that insight um, in, in his interactions with women, can tend to measure his sexual worth by his sexual prowess, as mm -hmm. does society, and devolves mm -hmm. and can devolve into seeing himself as nothing but a walking phallus, mm -hmm. while others see him as potential uh, potentially violent rapist. Mm -hmm. Now, that comes out of very specific stereotypes about the Mandingo and so on and so forth. These are stereotypes that were popularized after slavery about black men that pinned us as both violently dangerous and sexually so. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's particularly with white women. And the idea behind that was mainly amongst white men who were trying to urge white women to not associate with black men sexually. Mm -hmm. uh, but either way, these stereotypes have become a part of Americana. Mm -hmm. Right where we are viewed through them, whether we like it or not, um, the lover is uh, can be can view conquering women and can give him momentary self assuredness. Uh, he can illustrate how women across race seek out black men. This is something mm -hmm. a lot of people have trouble accepting right. that black men are sought after, even if it's reinforced by stereotype. It yes. nonetheless initiates the contact, and from there, human beings are human beings. Um, so you know, there's all these aspects to the lover. Uh, once, but here's the thing. Once he is self-affirmed, he does not necessarily need women to determine determine his value. So uh, as he's still developing, you know, conquering women is a big part of his self-identity. But once he's developed, he no longer needs that as a crutch, but he nonetheless has those skills to woo, to seduce and so on and so forth. Um, and then, of course, the lesson or at least one of the lessons he can teach you is the power of seduction. Uh, you know, the more you study that. But BGS, any thoughts? Uh, yeah. Um, if you if you listen to black men and black women, um, a lot of a black man's self identity as a man, especially, is centered on how well he services or serves uh, black females. Whether mm -hmm. it's uh, the father role, whether it's the boyfriend role, you know, where even down to the son role, how well you service black women and sex is part of it you know i call you know <laughs> i lovingly call uh, some black men to do this uh master concubines uh-huh because mm -hmm. because their job is to uh please women and it actually uh becomes part of their um how can i say their um uh, um their upliftment as a black as a black male in fact mm -hmm. we get in arguments all the time about who can please more women and how well we please women Absolutely, like a, a a badge of manhood in the black community, where, it's not, where it's not as much so in the uh, in, in the white community. Mm -hmm. His 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 entire his entire worth, mm -hmm. uh, even to the it's women in our yeah. community, is defined. So he has been socialized to see his wealth, his worth in such a manner. But yes. women also see his worth solely in terms of 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 what he can provide sexually, and and sometimes even even above what he can actually do as far as resources and money. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been deeply embedded, woven into the psyche of the uh, of, of the black male and the black female and the black family. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, Moada, man, hit me up in uh, Facebook Messenger, and we'll we'll wrap on that. Uh, just wanted to get that to you before I forgot. Um, let me see. Uh, so that's that is now in regard to the octanes. Any thoughts about this? Uh, this this goes across any octane because okay. um, if you go to the hundred, which you know, which is the baller, um, this is part of it. If you're if, uh, if you're a, a ninety two octane, which is the corporate class or the educated class. Um, if you can do this, you can earn money and do this, then you become what they call the masters of the universe. Mm. And uh, and basically, uh, uh, if you if say if you're down even down as far as an eighty five, which is a street dude, um, a lot of a lot of guys they're what they call homosexuals actually live off this, off their mm. reputation of pleasing women. And in fact, they actually go from woman to woman to woman, and house to house to house because they don't have one of their own, and. Uh, this is this is one way of actually getting himself off the street just by mm. using their prowess. So this is just deeply seeded into all sectors uh, right. across how how well you do, um, and your reputation as a man sometimes sits on it. And absolutely. And so you know it is what it is. Absolutely. You don't want to be a, a baller with a uh, quote unquote small penis or couldn't <laughs> service a woman because I think I can't remember the the uh, the rapper's name. They couldn't please a, a woman and. She actually outed him in a book. I can't remember the name, is it? but yeah, mm. it sullied his reputation. Even though he's, you know, he's should be what they call an alpha male. Wow. Mm. Okay. Uh, all right. And I said the first three were going to be pretty much the standards as in terms of what you know how black men are usually described. So um, I figured we could deal with the pimp, and. Um, I can see that the the lesson part I didn't transfer over from my notes, but because we have the esteemed BGS, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, the, the the mantra I chose here is uh, I can close on any woman, anywhere, any when. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, basically, what we can see is that uh, you know one of the aspects is that the pimp can be, especially when defined by pop culture, narrow, exploitive, and monstrous. And the reason I say that, and I've said this a couple of times on my show, but definitely on some exchanges in Facebook, you know, this idea that black men are pimps and that they exploit women and hurt women. And this is the kind of generic bubblegum history we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But when you really look at it, that image of the pimp was produced in the 1970s. And mm-hmm. it was it was a lot of black exploitation films that produced it. But when you really look at the black community's, you know, legacy with pimping, with the, with the, you know the prostitution, the prostitution industry, a lot of this was rooted in survival. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of this was rooted in basic level survival, and it wasn't something that men just did to women. I mean, if you look at the story of Richard Pryor, James Brown, number of others, what you'll find in their families is that you did have pimps, but then they worked for their mother or their grandmother as the madam. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And she would train them from childhood on how to be so. So this idea that black male pimps just showed up out of nowhere and just started oppressing women in mass is ahistorical. This is a this is an institution that came out of a need for survival Mm -hmm. and it involved the exploitation of men and women in various Mm -hmm. ways. And and don't get it twisted. Uh, Women are not the only prostitutes, nor are men the only pimps. Mm -hmm. This This is a lot more subtle, a lot more nuanced than people think when it comes to this industry. Um. 
The second point is that uh, the pimp understands both men and women beyond what's politically correct, interacts with women on multiple levels, see them and sees them in ways most refuse to, meaning that um, to a pimp, there's very little that's surprising as far mm-hmm. as a woman's behavior. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You could be a husband, you could be married for a decade, 20 years, doesn't matter, and find out your wife is having an affair and it'll shatter your whole world. You sit and have a conversation with a pimp about what he's seen mm-hmm. and it'll blow your mind. So, the, you know, so what I'm, what I mean by being able to understand, really, I'm saying the Nate, he understands the nature of sexuality between, particularly between men and women mm-hmm. beyond what is politically correct. Uh, he, he's seen beyond that. Right. And, and then I, you know, I talked about the figure having a history in black America that reflects the grotesqueries of black life, meaning not just what we want to present, but the realities of dealing with poverty, the realities of, of people using each other for various means and doing so uh, mm-hmm. in agreement. I mean, th- this idea we have too is that this is something that you know, some a man will will trick a woman or 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 brutally you know force mm-hmm. her into something. You yeah. have women that are actively looking for pimps. For pimps. Yeah. You know, so so this is a much more nuanced dynamic than pop culture generally allows it to be. But uh, any comments on this one, sir? Okay, well, the, the pimp is, if you want to use the octanes, the pimp is what I call the diesel, which is mm-hmm. uh, working people or sex workers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and pimps uh, deal in, uh, pimps and whores and, and people in that industry deal in the, uh, the in people's shadow. In other mm-hmm. words, the, the shadow part of people, the, 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 uh, the negative part of people. And mm-hmm. through sex, uh, pimps and prostitutes actually see the the ugly side of of people's uh emotions and sexuality so they deal in the shadows they deal in the shadows in other words outside outside of what we think is uh is uh how kind of proper and moral Mm -hmm. and one of of the things i would say one could learn from the pimp is is really human nature beyond Mm -hmm what we think human nature has to do with. Mm-hmm. There's a phrase is, is from a movie I like to watch, uh, you know, because I'm a movie buff. My son and I watch a bunch of movies. And one of the ones I remember recently watching was The Mist. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those Stephen King stories about a dimension and opening up and all these monsters coming out. But mm-hmm. there's a moment in there where there's two people in the grocery store and one of them is, is explaining. He said, you know, when you really begin to look at this, you know, once you take away rules Mm-hmm. Once you take away comforts, food and clothing, you see human beings become something very different. Mm-hmm. This is what I, I attribute to the pimp, that at the end of the day, this is somebody who is often seen mm-hmm. that side of reality. You know, And so uh, yeah. one of the things I like to say is what you can learn if you pay attention uh, is, is you know, what human nature really is mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. And yeah. I'm saying that as, as, as uh, you know, uh, um, when I had my first sexual experience, it wasn't my father who I had a conversation with about afterwards. It was a pimp. Mm. And, you know, he taught me about, you know, the kind of things you'd expect to get from a father. But it, he wasn't it wasn't about how to exploit women, how to get money out. It wasn't about none of that. He just was explaining to me the ways in which you know, human sexuality work, what to expect mm-hmm. from women and how to engage. And so there's this legacy there, despite the, the stereotypes where, mm-hmm. you know, these are human beings that they've just often seen things that a lot of us don't want to talk about. And, and, and the deep psychology of both men and women is involved. Right. Yeah. In the deep psychology of both. Absolutely. The, mm-hmm. the, the nature, the primal aspects of uh, human existence. All right. So number four, we have what I call the eternal boy. Mm. <laughs> right. Peter Pan, if you will. Right. 
uh, whose mantra is, I just want to play. Right. Um, you know, and a couple of things about him, he prioritizes his own needs, uh, you know, often can avoid growth even to his own detriment. Uh, and by that, I mean, maturation, you know, maturity, emotional growth, um, psychological growth is emotionally locked into teenhood in many instances can reflect society's disinterest in affirming black men's values. Now, what I mean by that is um, one of the things we're seeing, particularly with millennials and Generation Z, you know, is this kind of divestment from trying, right, right. this pulling away. And of course, much of the time they're shamed, you know, or they're just, they're not trying hard enough. They're afraid to grow up, but there's not a lot of incentive to, especially for some, some groups of black men. Uh, and so this kind of pulling away has more to it than just laziness. Uh, but in this instance, this is somebody who um, doesn't see the incentive to move forward and, and just decides to stay at a certain point where life was somewhat bearable and enjoyable. Uh, and I say here, one of the lessons that he can teach you is really how to value yourself on a certain to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but uh, talk to us, sir. What do you say? Well, basically, you know, this is um, this is really it's always been here. You know, but the thing is, but never to this extent. Because of the, uh, because the, the the automated environment that we lived in live in, um, it pushes childhood out. In other words, you can't really be uh, a mature in this in this complex society till you get around thirty. Mm. And uh, what we've done to the millennials and Generation Z is basically what we call a delayed childhood. Mm -hmm. Because we're so protective of, especially millennials, protective of them. They don't really start interacting as as one-to-one uh, -one until they get into their college years and sometimes adulthood. And you see this a lot where you see uh, millennials at 35 years old and they sound like they're 18 years old mm -hmm. because we, we've actually delayed their, their maturity. Mm -hmm. And then that's um, some people call it a Peter Pan syndrome. Some people mm -hmm. call it a trophy child mm -hmm. um, because... Uh, like say back in the you know in, in in the farming days, 40s and 50s and stuff like that, you were basically married and had started having kids 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm -hmm. okay. Now mm -hmm. it's 30, 35, sometimes even 40. Right. So, well, actually, there's a brother in the chat who just pointed out. He said, "This is my my 23 year old son." Yeah. And another brother, Christopher, said, "My oldest brother living at my mama's house is 64." And yes. <laughs> right. So this is so this is why I was saying it's not necessarily tied to age. It's not yeah. limited to no, that. no, it's, it's maturity. It's not age. Right. Absolutely. Maturity. And 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 shout out uh, to the brother. I just posted it on the screen, but he he definitely uh, drove it home. He pointed out the film Baby Boy. Yes. And, uh, and I think when I I'll probably add that image to here as well. That is a perfect way to describe it, uh, particularly in the black community, because <laughs> you watch that movie and you're like, OK, I definitely know what a, what a, what a baby boy is. <laughs> Not just baby boy, but also insecure dealt with a lot of uh, mm -hmm. 30 something uh, mm -hmm. black people dealing with delayed maturity. Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. this is this is baby boy is extreme. But yeah, even uh, even older millennials uh, that we watch on. Uh, you know, on, on now black TV actually show a lot of uh, older people like 30, 35, don't have any kids, never been married, still trying to figure it out. Delayed maturity. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So you can you see I have Chris Brown in there. There's a there's definitely a Peter Pan quality to that brother. But you can even take that to someone like Michael Jackson. Right. Oh. 
or, or, or even uh, what's his name with the uh, with all the children? What's his name? Uh, yeah, Sierra's ex. Sierra's ex. Um, oh, I know. You talking about future? Future, future. Okay. He, you know, he's still doing silly things that the twenty year old would do. He's, he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's in his mid thirties and he's still, you know, uh, uh, having babies with IG models and stuff like that. I think he's up to like ten or eleven uh, kids, and he's not stopping anytime soon. He's yeah. just yeah doing stuff that you expect a twenty year old to do. Well, I want to and I want to shout out Tank Johnson in the comments because mm-hmm. he says something really important. He said he was pointing to the opposite, yeah, and that is, that is not something I've included in this list. So I wanted to shout it out. He said Fred Hampton was twenty one when he died, but you would think he was forty one. Yeah. And this is real. This is the opposite. This is this is almost like saying the Eternal Man because when you watch Fred Hampton speak. You, you do forget how old he is. You, yeah. you you do not remember that he was 21 because he was so advanced and he was so developed in that respect. Just like, and I would say the same to some extent about, well, but not only the Panthers, if you take somebody like Malcolm, yeah. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther, remember, King Martin, Martin Luther King was 25 when he led the Montgomery bus strike. Right. But, but see, this is where I, it hits me. I'm 45. Neither mm-hmm. one of those men reached 40. Yes. You know what I mean? So, yes, they did things at in their 20s that, you know, at times were brilliant. But even to the end of their lives, they weren't mm-hmm. even 40 yet. Mm-hmm. And 40 sounds old until you hit 40. Yeah. Um, so that said, you know, when you look at this kind of idea of, of somebody like a Fred Hampton or a number of other figures who at very young ages took mm-hmm. on, you know, very you know man oriented qualities and, and lived them to the rest of their lives. They, I would say that's the, the mirror image of the eternal boy, somebody that even in childhood. So Tank, appreciate that, man. Um, all right. So next up, you have the Hotep. Now, I quickly want to say this very recently became a derogatory statement, yes. particularly directed at black men. Yes. Right. The idea here, it, it, I have heard it randomly applied to black women from time to time, but for the most part, it became a derogatory term directed at black men. And it generally spoke to men that portrayed a fake or performative blackness that had no substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was applied to black men that were using this kind of Afrocentric apparel and speech, you know, to really, you know, gain people out of money or resources or things of that nature. Or, or even sex. Yeah. Or even sex. Right. This, you know, so that became the kind of derogatory aspect to this. But basically, you know, this was the era that I came up in, but I, you know, I also saw it in my father's generation. My father was a Panther. So these were black men that were embracing, you know, their history. They were embracing their culture. They were researching the connections to Africa, but they were assessing blackness beyond what America decided our blackness should be. And mm-hmm. much of that in just the last five years, what'd you say five years? I would say 10, last 10 years. Well, I mean, in terms of the of the the, the, the negative, derogatory the term, director, the director of the last ten years, derogatory term. You can actually really? see the term, the separation okay. between um, the conscious community, which is what we call it. Hotep mm-hmm. was just a greeting that we use, right. but it slowly started to evolve into what we call um, the derogatory term because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people uh, weren't vetted uh, with this mm-hmm. wisdom, so they actually parroted the wisdom, but the things they weren't vetted. To, to see if they were actually qualified to actually um, go out and teach this stuff. So now, but social media, what's wrong with social media? Um, the good thing is everybody gets a voice. What's the bad mm-hmm. thing about social media? Everybody gets a voice. You got people that were not vetted, right? The old way that mm-hmm. had a voice with 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 these with these uh, 
sometimes with these half learnings and actually coming out and actually pushing it out onto the uh, onto into the public. And this is where the reputation comes from, right. where they were the negative terms. So now they group all people with this wisdom, with this esoteric wisdom as hoteps. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people just by like you see the image here, the top image mm -hmm. um, I use just because he had on some kente. And I've heard people mm -hmm. make comments that just because a black man has kente on, he must be this mm -hmm. kind of stereotypical idea of what we just talked about, right. uh, the hotep. And it's really interesting to kind of see this kind of thing progress. And the bottom image is actually something that kind of predates this. It's an image that comes from Chris Rock's movie, CB4, mm -hmm. where they were at that time making fun of this kind of quality. But I really didn't see that, that kind of thing popularized until fairly recently, mm -hmm. even though this is a 1990s comedy film where you saw it kind of played with then. So it's an interesting kind of dynamic. Uh, Armand uh, and Robert appreciate the support uh, on the Cash App and PayPal. Um, but the lesson here is that they they can teach you the value of history and identity. And this, of course, uh, has to do with whether or not you've you've connected with someone that has integrity and takes what they're studying seriously. Right. Yes. Um, so, again, each one of these archetypes is on a spectrum based on the person you're coming into contact with. Because, again, like I said at the beginning, human beings can take this in any direction. And I want to be clear here. I do believe that black men are incapable are are capable of deep wisdom and that can come out of any of these archetypes depending yes. on the quality of the human being you're dealing with. So I don't care if you're talking about the internal boy, the pimp, it doesn't matter. It, depending on the person you're dealing with, you can get, you know, deep wisdom from any of them. I I, I often point to uh, I said this when I did a film review years ago of um I was uh What's the film uh, with Morris Chestnut? Uh, they were the first one. He was getting married. Um, and uh, was, the um, best man. Best man. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a character in there played by Terrence Howard. Mm. And Terrence Howard was, you know, he was kind of the, he was, you know, he was all over the place. He was a little bit of a player, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He was the comic relief. But there, especially in the first movie, there were moments where he would hit you. Actually, in both movies, there were moments where his character hit you with wisdom. And I said in an interview once, I said, sometimes the deepest lessons come from people you don't expect to learn anything from. Um, and, and, and so with many of these archetypes, if you pay attention and you're talking about somebody who who has grown and reflected upon their own experiences, you'd be surprised who you can learn something from. So I want to be clear. None of these archetypes, even though I had just a little bit of space to put in a few things to say about them. None of these archetypes suggest that the human being standing in front of you is incapable of teaching you something or or you know, really be going beyond what your expectations of them are. Okay. Uh, here we go. So the next one up, the bourgeois gentleman, mm -hmm. the bourgeois gentleman. I was going to use a different image here, but I wasn't, I didn't want it to be misunderstood by some of my YouTube content creators. <laughs> so I didn't use it. Um, and I meant no diss in, at all. Um, but here, uh, the, the, the mantra is you can't breathe in my atmosphere. Mm -hmm. uh, and so upon first glance, this brother, you know, he can be elite. He can be brilliant, mm -hmm. whether he's reserved or gregarious on the negative end. He can be elitist. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between being elite and being elitist. Um, he can be arrogant and he can be dismissive. You know, sometimes he may not uh, appreciate what people struggle with uh, in contrast to himself. Uh, but he can teach you how to determine value in life. And that can come in a lot of different forms. 
Um, uh, Tank, appreciate that support. All right, that can come in a lot of different forms. Uh, but any thoughts about this and any relationship to the Octane? So. Uh, we've always had uh, what we call the black bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been books written about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, he, he represents the, the higher class of, of black folks. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the Jack and Jill, the, uh, the, the boule, as we want to call them, the, uh, the black Greeks. Um, but the thing is, is that they represent the higher standard of black people, something to aspire to. Uh, mm-hmm. Like they said, they can't be arrogant and elitist and what have you. But uh, nine times out of ten, these are the higher performing people, the most educated, uh, uh, the most successful. So mm-hmm. um, just like any 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 group in America, any group in the in the world, there's always a, an, an elite um, group. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- this is what the, uh, the 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 bourgeois or the bougie gentleman actually represents, you know, how to dress, yeah. how to carry yourself, uh, how to make money how to have discipline, how to have standards, you know, that kind of stuff. So self-respect, self-respect. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wanna, so, so, you know, another, an example on the positive end of mm-hmm. where you can see a bourgeois gentleman, if any of you ever saw, especially recently, hopefully you did, if you didn't see it when it came out mm-hmm. in theaters, go look at um, um, Chadwick Boseman's portrayal of Thurgood Marshall. Mm. Thurgood Marshall uh, in that respect would have been in this category. Yes. But see, and I say, and I re, I, I bring that in because, you know, we say bourgeois mm-hmm. or bougie. Mm-hmm. And of course we have a negative interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And this, and, and I'm trying to say that again, depending on the quality of person you're dealing with, it can be all over the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can be dealing with an elitist asshole mm-hmm. or you can be dealing with somebody like Thurgood. If you watch that film, he's jumping on buses all across the South uh, as a lawyer carrying his law books with him. Right. People, you know what I mean? And this is somebody who, you know, at one point is sitting at dinner parties with Langston Hughes and, mm-hmm. and just, ch- and he could have lived that life, but instead he dedicated himself to an entire different, entirely different life altogether. So, you know, I don't want to suggest that somehow being bourgeois in this respect means something negative. It doesn't have to at all. It could definitely speak to the higher qualities of sacrificing for others and, and you know, using one's skills to help others, uplift others. All of those qualities are potentially there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of want to point that out. But, you know, you'll find certain people carry themselves in certain ways. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, yeah, <laughs> there is that. Uh, and there's definitely a book. Um, shout out to Jamal. Uh, the book, Our Kind of People Inside America. Right. Check that book out that kind of goes through some of that. Yeah, uh, Franklin Frazier. Yeah, Franklin Frazier's Black Bourgeoisie. Black Bourgeoisie, absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't want to be dismissive uh, by any means um, here. All right. Let's go to the next one. Right? The Black White Knight. <laughs> the Black White Knight. I will always be there to save you as often as you need me to save you, is his mantra. Right? And this is, uh, you can see I used the image there of Tyler Perry's Good Deeds. Mm-hmm. You know, if you saw that character, he's a multimillionaire who gets with this kind of broke single mother and whatnot. Uh, you have uh, a YouTuber uh, who is popular for defending women and really being critical of men. Although I will say I've seen a few videos where he kind of said some things that I didn't expect him to say in defense of men. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, what he's known for, as is Steve Harvey, is this kind of posture of, you know, it, learning to assume the outlook and worldview 
of black women mm -hmm. and chastise black men mm -hmm. for whatever it is that they tend to be frustrated about. Um, so uh, check that out uh, if you can. Uh, but anyway, uh, tries to uplift women to address misogyny, often to his and other black men's detriment, mm -hmm. often ignores misandry altogether, doesn't even regard uh, the, the treatment and experiences of black men uh, in terms of misandry as a relevant uh, issue at all, accepts feministic misandry and considers it a social good. Right. So feministic misandry in this context would be, you know, the kind of things you'd hear from feminists about toxic masculinity and things of that nature uh, as applied to black men with no evidence, often just used and accepted in many circles. Um, and this person is usually the kind of person that will accept that would suggest that it's a good thing and then actually build on it to further denigrate black men uh, in the interest of black women. Uh, they can also be exploitive in the sense that they'll sell a false image for profit or even worship female approval, mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's accurate, regardless of whether it's right, um, you still have this posture. And it's interesting how it's also lucrative. <laughs> Isn't it though? <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It tends to be fairly lucrative, you know, uh, whereas defending black men is generally not something that uh, <laughs> you're gonna become a multi-millionaire doing. But it is what it is. Uh, shout out to my, my former student, Corey, in the in the comments. How you doing, brother? Um, any thoughts, sir, uh, in general and in relation to the octanes? Uh, well, white knights can be in any. Um, there's some things that are general and a white knight can be uh, uh, any one of the octanes um, mm -hmm. from the uh, from the uh, street dude or the thug that will defend women <laughs> till his last breath and actually give his life mm -hmm. uh, to the. Uh, to uh, we just you just show the picture of a uh, a Jadena who will be mm -hmm. uh, what they call the hundred octane class, mm -hmm. right? And he recently mm -hmm. put out a post, uh, yes. open letter to uh, black men, mm -hmm. and he was actually white knighting for for black women, uh, actually chastising men for not protecting and providing for women, mm -hmm. and uh, and excusing their faults. So yeah. And yet again, Green Gorilla did an ex excellent overview of that letter. Mm -hmm. I actually was going to use his picture in this one, but I don't like to use uh, the same person twice. Mm -hmm. But because of that, if you read through the comments, uh, at least on Instagram, mm -hmm. of that particular article, you see him going in and out and doing exactly what we're describing here. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, so, yeah. Uh, but it, did you did you say uh, were it related to the octane? No, it could be any octane. So I, be any I, octane, okay. Any octane, any class of man could do this. It's just, uh, it's more of a mindset. It's more mm -hmm. of a mindset. It's more of training. And uh, depending on the class of, of, like, the higher you go up in the class, the more he'll use his money in words. The lower you go in the class, the more he's likely to use his fists. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the only mm -hmm. difference. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, and and may even fight you over a perceived slight that had you you know that yeah. really he doesn't understand. Yeah. Um, you know, which 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 where sometimes it comes into what they call proxy violence. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. He 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 would be the guy that would come in and defend a woman even if he didn't know she stabbed some <laughs> the, the guy <laughs> he <did> with <laughs> before he jumped in. You know what I mean? So you know. But again, yeah. that's that that's yeah. that person. Um, this one is an interesting one to me. Uh, and I definitely wanted to get your your response to it uh, here. The success guilt written brother, guilt ridden brother. Okay. Um, I owe my people eternally, even when I don't have a dime left. This is his mantra. And you can see here, I use Andre Rising, I use MC Hammer, 
But this is something that Jamel Hill talked about in an interview she did recently. And I appreciated certain aspects of what she said. I think there are definitely much deeper ways to analyze our economic situation, especially when you come out of poverty. I worked with a lot of these young men and you know in college before they left for you know the pros or where going overseas to ball and made right. money, different right. ventures and so on and so forth. But there is this kind of, especially when you come out of poverty, there is a kind of guilt. I mean, hell, there's an HBO series that used to be out, what's it called? Survivor's Guilt? Yes. You know, that spoke to this kind of very idea of of making it, if you will. And then, you know, and, and even statistically, one of the things that, that um, you know, I used to talk about in my classes a lot is when it came to black and Latino folk, you, if you, you know, went to got your degrees and you made six figures, one of the main differences between black and Latinos that make six figures and whites that make six figures is that you often end up having to support whole family, your, right. you know, your whole family. You got cousins that'll come out the woodworks you ain't never met before with their hand out in different kinds of ways. And yet, if you come from a family that's contributed to you as opposed to pulling from you, it's a different experience. But one of the reasons that black folk who newly come into money cannot progress as fast as others is because you have so many you know, poor family members that we're connected to. Yes. We're not even talking about the impact of COVID. We're not talking about the mass unemployment that we've been seeing this last you know, number of months. You know, so all of that complicates that. And if you come out of a history of a community with no inherited wealth, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, if you're the first in your family to start making some real money, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have a lot of, you know, a lot of hands in your pocket. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, you might experience a great deal of guilt. Mm -hmm. the, pressure. the guilt and social pressure. Guilt yeah. and social pressure. Absolutely. I think uh, Jamel actually gave an example of, of how she bought her mother a car right. and she, she had to explain to her accountant, I think, you know, why she didn't lease it. He said, she said, because you can't give an older black woman like my mother a, a, a brand new Benz or a brand new Mercedes mm -hmm. and then tell her that there are payments. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that goes into that guilt. And she actually made an interesting statement. She said that we experience kind of broke PTSD. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a little modicum of money, you experience broke PTSD because you you know it can all go away. Yes. You know, you, you could lose that job. You could lose, you know. So you have these kind of the thought process is different, even though you, you have money as a black person, especially if you've come out of poverty, you almost kind of subconsciously prepare for if you ever have to go back into poverty. So it's a whole different mind state. But uh, for the success guilt and ridden brother, when successful has potential to be happy, but won't let himself often overspends, uh, you know, for his own self-esteem, um, feels he owes those he feels permanent, permanently indebted to. And this is something Andre Risen talked about recently in terms of the people he came up with and just making sure he covered everything. I mean, I think at one point he talked about, you know, supporting all three members of uh, what's the, the, the singing group uh, Left Eye Belong to? Um, uh, TLC. TLC, thank you. Uh, he, he was saying for a particular while he was taking care of all three and taking care of a number of friends. And how many times have you heard of black celebrities and athletes taking care of family members, yes. employing brothers and cousins <laughs> as managers and bodyguards yes. from yes. Eddie Murphy to, you know, you've seen this back and forth. Um, so but this kind of idea and what this person can teach you is the value of what life can bring to you. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, sometimes due to your own skills. Sometimes mm -hmm. just due to blind luck, you may yeah. run into uh, a windfall of some mm -hmm. sort. And yeah. one of the things you're going to have to reconcile is can you manage this without letting the guilt, the survivor's guilt, without letting, you know, any of those kind of insecurities 
uh, kind of overrun the good uh, the good fortune you've had. But uh, brother BGS, any thoughts? Well, yeah, because uh, we have to understand that white people come out of more of a uh, individualist culture, mm-hmm. and black people especially come out of a very collective culture. And um, and it works for you and it works against you. That's why um, it's uh, when it, when there's a severe downturn, uh, black people tend to do not fall to the bottom. OK, not completely to the bottom. Even the, even the man on the street can get something to eat from his, um, you know, from his from his community, even if he's on the street, because we we do deal in a collective culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other end, when it comes to success and making money, it's harder for us to do it is because we do carry the whole collective with us. Not mm-hmm. only sometimes not just family members, but also the whole community with you. Look mm-hmm. at LeBron James carrying his family and even with the with the millions and sometimes billions that he makes. OK, mm-hmm. his family, he's got to go back to Cleveland and do things, you know, open schools and and and, and do uh, uh, do things for the community. Shaq. Kobe, all those men actually came back and actually had had by socially had to do something for the community. So mm-hmm. that is part of the problem. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was thinking about when you're saying that about family. Like, remember the uh, uh, Latrell Sprewell that played for the Golden State Warriors? He actually uh, popularized the, the spinning rims, right? Mm-hmm. Even though he didn't make them, he popularized. Them. We actually called them Sprewells. Mm-hmm. He, he actually did that because he had family members that. Uh, that were that were kind of out of work and need to do something with him. So he said he opened up shops uh, that as he sold these rims, rim shops and accessory shops for his family to actually woke it were working. Mm-hmm. Eventually he kind of I don't know if he went completely broke, but actually uh, lost a lot of money money by doing that. So mm-hmm. it's just just one example. Mo- mm-hmm. A lot of your athletes actually do go broke because of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and it's it's kind of understandable when you don't come from wealth, mm-hmm. uh, maintaining that. Uh, 427 in the building. Please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, please support the show. Uh, thank you very much. This is obviously part one. Um, we're trying to figure out. We, we just started talking tonight about uh, part two, so we haven't set out a time. Uh, so I wasn't sure both what BGS's schedule looked like and, um, you know, how long between, you know, where you guys would like to see a second part. So uh, we'll figure all of that out. But uh Probably, you know, probably at least a couple of weeks so we can do it on Interlight too, because so, it be probably unfair to do the second part. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interlight. Right. Okay. Uh, let's see here. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. One of your favorites. I this understand. Is, this is the daddy, right? You can have. You can, his mantra is you can have whatever you like because it ain't tricking if you got it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, believe it or not, this is not always an older man. And it's not always necessarily somebody with money. Future. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it, 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 is, it is something that, you know, we have seen. Um, and these are just a couple of random bullet points, but like BGS said, we could do an hour on each one of these. So forgive me that the bullet points are not exhaustive. They don't cover a whole lot. It's just enough to give you a taste. So there's a lot really that's missing in each one. And we could kind of explore that. And you guys let me know in the comments or, you know, even after the video, what you think, what you'd like to hear more about with any one of these, uh, cause there's a lot to them, but I'm just giving a couple things. So, uh, tends to spoil younger women or, treats all women uh, he's with like younger women, regardless, that should say regardless of age, forgive me, Um, uh, regardless of age. So that said, 
um, you know, sees relationships in a an amorally practical manner. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder who could explain that for us. <laughs> um, you know, something to do with resources and beauty. Maybe, maybe we'll get a breakdown of that in a moment. Uh, and and really, and this is frustrating for a lot of people. He exemplifies SMV. Mm-hmm. He does. If you're not familiar with sexual marketplace value, um, he is the personification of it. You know, I remember uh, when I was working in San Francisco, this was in the late 1990s. This might have been like 99. I was working in San Francisco. I was writing curriculum for the school district, uh, one of the main school school districts in Hunters Point. And I had an older brother come sit down and, and he just came and sat in my desk and just started talking to me. Uh, and he was probably in his late 60s at the time. And he started to explain to me how many women he had mm-hmm. in his late 60s and how, mu- how much more he had than when he was in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm, at, I'm in my 20s at the time. I couldn't fathom what he was talking about. But mm-hmm. he was trying to explain to me, really, he was trying to explain SMV. Mm-hmm. He was trying to, what he was trying to explain to me is that your value will increase as you get older Mm-hmm. As you build on yourself, as you grow into yourself and as you expand and, and, and develop, you know, your, your your path and make, you know, make your money. He was trying to basically explain you're going to be more sought after. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really understand what he was talking about. You know, so I paid attention, but I didn't really get it until, you know, this red pill movement. And they started breaking down SMV. And I was like, ah, OK. But he he was a, he's a living example of that. So, you know, here's a man anywhere from, you know, and this. Well, like I said, this can happen across age, but most typically we see it with between 50 and and 70 years old, 70 something years old, where you have older men with means Mm -hmm. who tend to date and court women that are far younger than them. We saw Uh, saw Marcus Houston just do it with, uh, he's 39, but with a 19 year old, but she's gorgeous, but it's something similar. Something similar. Absolutely. Um, And the lesson he can teach you is how to enjoy life the older you get. And that's important because one of the things that I think we're often taught uh, is that when you get old, uh, you just need to go sit and wait for the retirement home. Uh, This is actually something Attorney Sperling mentioned the other day. He was like, you know, we have this idea that we just need to go sit out in the pasture and be ready to die once you hit 40. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this, you know, this idea that you have no value, you have no worth. And we've seen these movies and stories when it comes to women. We don't really see it talked about with men. Yeah. Right? But, you know, it, it, one of the things you actually find is that uh, actually you, you get sought after more. Yeah. If, if your life is such that you, you know, have the kind you of done. resources emotionally, mature, you know, it, it, psychologically it, it, and monetarily. If you've done the work. Yeah. yeah if you've done the work. You can actually be more sought after. Mm-hmm. But uh, along with the, the octane breakdown, I want to find out a little more about this amoral practicality, sir. Can you speak uh, basically, session market value, uh, value and amoral practicality, actually seeing the the the, the naked, the ones in the naked, but the, the actual value of what you get versus what you're giving mm-hmm. and vice versa. Say if, a, say if, say the young lady in the picture, even like, uh, 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 Marcus Houston's wife. Okay, she's at her, you know, her she, she's at her peak as far as the flower is concerned. Beauty, youth. She's a virgin. Okay, she's, you know, worth a certain value. You know, mm-hmm. and Mark. I mean, Marcus Houston has money. He's got influence. He's got status, and he's worth a certain value. So basically, it's seeing the value in each other. So mm-hmm. without without morals, like a lot of people, uh, 
even on uh, Facebook and Twitter, didn't like it because the age disparity. Uh, disparity because mm-hmm. he's thirty nine, he's twenty years older than his nineteen year old bride. But mm-hmm. uh, a morally, you can see why those two would actually get together, and why possibly she got the better end of the bargain, even though she's only nineteen. Yeah. I mean, what people, a lot of people don't want to accept is that younger women and older men have the dominant place in the sexual yeah. marketplace yeah. breakdown. They, yeah. I mean, and that has everything to do with what both what group, what men and women yeah. more often than not want. Want, you yeah. What, what you're valued for, and that's what, what they really for. value. You're valued. What, like it or not, men are actually valued for uh, for uh, resources mm-hmm. and, and you know resources and money, mm-hmm. and also maturity. You're yeah. expected to be more mature and more uh, uh, emotionally mature than the woman that you get. So they actually do look for that. That's how come if you look at a chart, uh, most men do not uh, start reach, uh, getting to their close to the peak value till they're 35. You're mm-hmm. just entering into your peak value phase. Right. OK. Whereas women, their peak value is between the ages of uh, depending on who you talk to, between 19 and 26. Peak value for a woman as far as what she's valued for which is uh, youth, beauty, fertility, peaks out at 26. But see, but the, but the complication came about, especially, especially in the black community in the 1980s, mm-hmm. had feminism and feminism argued that you were valuable as a woman just because you existed. Yes. And so part of the problem that we hear, and I know a lot of people listen to Kevin, the Kevin Samuels channel because you repeatedly Mm-hmm. You know, get to hear, you know, women in particular running headlong into the wall. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even I didn't even mean to use that term, but it, it fits. It, it, but when you hear these discussions, Kevin Samuels is having where he's actually explaining that mm-hmm. despite what you may want to believe about your social value, there is still a marketplace. People are still going to seek who they want to be with. And mm-hmm. that has implications on you and yeah. what you can do. Yeah. Um, and so, so with that dynamic in place, you know, it, it it's it's a frustrating moment for a lot of people who mm-hmm. have to come to grips with the fact that mm-hmm. you know your value does it doesn't extend yeah. the way it used to. Yeah, um, and, and what the daddy does teach you is how to evaluate yourself and how to value yourself because the daddy does value himself. Mm-hmm. He values himself absolutely, absolutely. Uh, is there is there an is is there an octane issue here? Or? No, basically, you can see the daddy. Uh, uh, you might go for a different class of woman. You know, each each man in different octane classes goes for a different class of woman, but it's pretty much the same. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, you could be you could be the retiree with the with the pension, and you got uh, and you got free you know extra money and a, and a home. And there's a twenty year old, a twenty one year old that's you know, in, in your class that wants to get with you because you do have resources, mm-hmm. you know, or the, like I said, the, the Mark Houston, who's a baller, you know, mm-hmm. who's a famous, rich, uh, successful status that gets a higher class of woman. So mm-hmm. this, the daddy could be, and I've seen them all across all, uh, all lines, all classes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But we usually think of them as uh, well. You've seen them, the old, the the, the sporty gentleman that's like uh, like the like the ninety two and up. But thing is, but they do cut across all classes. Okay, that's mm-hmm. right. After retirement age, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yes. There was a there's a videos going around where there's a where there's a um, a man and he's obviously a working class man, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's obviously in his late fifties, maybe early sixties, and 
he says he doesn't mess with any woman under 27 mm-hmm. and uh, over 27. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and his, uh, his niece asks, how do you attract them? He pulls out this big, thick wad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, yeah, I tell, tell him one thing. So she said, what is it? I have money. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because you can even see like, you you know, even women over 35 and in their 40s, I'll yes. see what 70-year-old men, 75-year-old men. Yes. And, and, you know, and sometimes I've run into these women where they are trying to disprove SMV and, <laughs> and say, well, look, I'm over 40 and I got a man with money. And I'm like, how old is he? Well, he's 75. I so said, you just proven yes. SMV. You didn't just prove it. <laughs> you just proved it. <laughs> you know, that is exactly SMV. You are the younger hot chick to a 75-year-old man. The problem is... Most women in their 40s and 50s, you know, have trouble with they don't want older men. Mm-hmm. But the reality is he's got the maturity and the means often to accommodate mm-hmm. what it is they often are looking for. So uh, that SMV is a tricky maze. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have the Adonis. This is the last one we're going to cover tonight. Uh, this is the Adonis, right? His mantra is, I look good enough to have you and you and you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he's pretty. He's a pretty boy and he knows it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can be, but isn't always in good health. And that's something that um, uh, I was talking to a, a health advisor about. He was making he was telling he made a comment about uh, the, the, the difference between actually being healthy and looking healthy. Mm-hmm. And so he was I think he was talking. He, it was a number of things he was talking about. He was talking about people that get surgeries, plastic surgery. Uh, they're doing quick fix diets that are actually dangerous to their system. Mm-hmm. But but he was talking about the difference between those who look healthy versus those who you know actually are healthy. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of wiggle room there as to what healthy is. But the Adonis is more someone that either has those things naturally uh, or 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 even if he develops them artificially, there mm-hmm. are enough to where uh, he's he's highly sought after. He meets the standard of beauty, Mm -hmm. Uh, can become obsessed and lose track of how attraction works once beyond the physical. Um, This is one of the detriments uh, of the Adonis, you know, pretty boy. Um, You know, he can he can pretty much pick who he wants to often as far as women are concerned. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, if he's not grown, if he's not studied, if he's not, you know, meditated on his life, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have much to offer once you get past Mm -hmm. just the looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most obvious lesson he can teach you is what women's sexual desires can be. Um, any thoughts here, sir? Yeah, the Adonis is uh, uh, because because the way he looks or where he's developed himself, women become you know come easy, okay, mm-hmm. and uh, and sometimes that privilege can be abused, and also it can backfire on you because. The more women you mess with, women don't just come with bodies; they also come with uh, needs, wants, and you know their different psychologies. And mm-hmm. a lot of Adonis's um, do park their car in the garage <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> park their cars in the garage, okay? For obvious reasons. And, I like uh, that. <laughs> and uh, the Adonis's also have to go through because they do are, are attractive women. They tend to rack up these numbers. They have also um, have STDs or potential STDs, uh, pregnancy scares. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, they can be actually abused by their women, okay? Because if uh, you're at the Adonis and you happen to be what a woman desires and you leave her, mm-hmm. then she can become vindictive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as there's also problems because if you do attract women, you also, like, like the same thing that happens to women, you attract unwanted attention. 
by mm. women that you don't desire? Mm. And how do you how do you actually uh, uh, how do you actually handle that? So mm -hmm. it is uh, it is a desirable position to be in, but there's also a negative side. A lot of people don't actually um, realize what the negative side actually is. Well, one one aspect of the negative side you can see is is uh, the 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 narcissistic component, yes. right? Where you can where this person can become extremely narcissistic. Mm -hmm. um, but believe it or not, I actually have met men who you know were were so attractive that they had no problems whatsoever uh, mm -hmm. having women appeal to them. But still, believe it or not, had a kind of naivete about it. You know, mm -hmm. it's interesting. They actually weren't narcissistic. Matter of fact, some of them had real trouble understanding why women kept approaching them, but they never lacked for it. Mm -hmm. And but, the, but you know, but they also never had to develop game. <laughs> they never yeah. had to worry yeah. about it because it always came. Yeah, I think I think the Boris Kojo fits that 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 mantra right. because uh, when he was younger, he didn't he he didn't realize why women were really fawning all over him. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the problem that he had, uh, he, you know, he still has with his wife is that he is so attractive mm -hmm. that. Um, that she's uh, she's low key jealous of just about every woman. Yeah, little, yeah, and yeah. really insecure even. Well, uh, very, very much so. You know, yeah. and and I and I have a couple of boys like that, and and I've seen some things that were. I saw one. I was it, matter of fact, it's interesting you miss, mentioned Boris Kojo because one of my brothers looks very much like him, mm. and I, he and I were walking one day, and across the street at a grocery store, I saw a woman put down her groceries, mm -hmm. run across the street, mm -hmm. run up to us, and ask him for his phone number yes and he's looking at me like what the hell is going on yeah i'm looking at him like i damn sure don't know and <laughs> you know but i've never seen that kind of, that you know women respond to a man mm -hmm. that looks like that before mm -hmm. uh shout out to my boy mark you know so that kind of thing happens but yeah. i will say another one of my brothers who also had that those kind of looks he taught me a lesson in undergrad uh you know we were going we used to go to parties together Mm -hmm. And I swear to you, I you know I would be dressed. I'd, I'd have all my stuff manicured and groomed. Mm -hmm. He would roll out of bed, throw on some flip flops, and roll to the party. Mm -hmm. and just would have woman after woman hitting mm -hmm. on him. Mm -hmm. and, but he talked about it from an angle I'd never thought of before. He said, you know, he he actually he enjoyed the attention, of course. Yeah, right. But he said one of the problems that came with it, he said, none of these women give a damn about who I am, yeah, no. what I'm about. He said they no. don't care about none of that. They they no. just want to. You know, they just want to be seen with me. They want to do. And, mm -hmm. you know, he, he didn't mind, of course, the sex and all of that. But there was a point where he just reached where he really understood that they didn't care anything about who he was or what he was about. Mm -hmm. and, and I I would have never had that, that kind of conclusion because I didn't you know, I, that wasn't an experience mm -hmm. I could relate to. So mm -hmm. you can have men that are extremely attractive and yet a bit naive and oblivious yeah. to how that attraction is perceived by others. But yeah. the Adonis is somebody that is well aware mm -hmm. and actually uses that attraction right. for his own ends. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be negative or positive. It just mm -hmm. is what it is. I mean, if, yeah. you have, if you have a talent with basketball, you're not a narcissist because you decide to be a pro basketball player. You, you can be, but that's a choice. You know, yeah. this, this person is just blessed with a certain set of genes that in this culture just tends to work in terms of of how we interpret beauty. So mm -hmm. uh, but the Adonis is, is tends to be a bit more uh, purposeful about how that beauty is used. Um, so uh, any 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 other thought? Now, did you relate this to the octanes or did any thoughts there? This this would this could be happen in any any level of octane because it's it's based on looks now, a woman. Now, woman's uh, uh, a woman's uh, looks. Say if she's she's the, the quote unquote trophy, the ten, 
-hmm. Okay. Now she will tend to actually get uh, higher value males. Okay? okay. Because that's what she's going to be. A woman is actually rated by the kind of man that she can actually get as far as, as far as value, especially the hundred octane, which is the, the what they call the gold digger or the baller chick. She can actually attract money. So can the, uh, so can the Adonis. But the thing is, um, for a hundred octane male, it's more uh, on what you can accomplish. Men are actually judged on their accomplishments. Right. So, um, so this, so uh, an Adonis could be uh, on the arm of, um, of a, of a billionaire. Uh, I think the, what was it? Uh, a prison bay. I think that was what they <laughs> got married to a, a billionaire heiress. Oh, or did you, he? Yeah, he did. He did. He became a model, got married to a billionaire heiress. Or you could be the homosexual sleeping on the, uh, you know, the county girl's couch. Mm. I've seen it both ways. Yeah, I have too. Mm -hmm. I have too. So yeah. there is no class for, not for, not for male, you know, mm -hmm. that it's, could be the trophy. Mm -hmm. and it, and, but each, each instance, he is the trophy in each class. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. All right, people. Well, I apologize for the rocky start tonight. Uh, that's the first time that happened. Hopefully it'll be the last, but uh, we'll probably do this again. I'm not scheduled on inner light till the first. So I'm going to see uh, uh, if there's anything that could be worked out and I'll make sure I advertise, but we are definitely going to do a part two because I have at least another nine to 10 more uh, that we're going to delve into. Uh, but I do want to thank uh, BGS, AKA Robert McCall, for to do tonight and last week i told you we were going to do two in a row uh because i definitely want it known uh that uh you know especially with elders like bgs uh we got to show love we got to show support uh because these men have lived their lives and they're sharing information that hopefully will help a lot of people not have to reinvent the wheel uh, so if we're wise we learn from others if you're hard-headed you got to learn everything yourself and that can be an expensive lesson on a number of levels so shout out to you, BGS. I appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, and shout out to the chat, everybody listening, 421 people. Uh, mm -hmm. You guys know how I like to close this out. I'm going to share it. I did make uh, another um, uh, add to this. Uh, so you might want to listen out for the slight addition. Right. Uh oh, hold on. My screen disappeared on me. All right, there we go. So I'm here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace. <laughs>